This is What the FC. I'm Will Martin. And I'm Matt McCutcheon. MLS is weird, and we love a good story. Let's go. Welcome back to What the FC. You are listening to episode 5 of our MLS 101 mini-series. This episode is going to wrap up the MLS 101 mini-series. This is episode 5 of 5. We're finally through everything you need to know about Major League Soccer. And Matt is finally through everything he needs to know about Major League Soccer. We all made it. It's been a long <laughs> journey. I'd like to thank my mom, my dad, <laughs> my family, and all those who've been supporting me. I'm just kidding. But yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get after it. And um, after watching the Champions League today and watching Real Madrid burn and fall out of, uh, oh, I guess it didn't fall out, but... They did lose their opening game, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'll be interested to see what uh, Manchester to Madrid has to say about that, but um, a little shout out there. (laughs) But on this episode, guys, we're going to be talking about all the special competitions that surround a Major League Soccer season. So that includes CONCACAF Champions League, which is why we just mentioned the UEFA Champions League, the U.S. Open Cup, and the MLS All-Star Weekend. So we're just going to jump straight into that. First, we're going to do the CONCACAF Champions League. All the CONCACAF Champions League is, is an annual club football competition organized by CONCACAF for their top clubs. And by the way, uh, I finally did figure out what CONCACAF means. Yeah, what does it mean? Enlighten us, please. (laughs) Matt's been bugging me about this for like every episode. <laughs> or at least so, you're a resident expert, so I, I expect you to know these things. But of course, I didn't know, um, which my dad obviously finally got fed up with. Yes. Because funny story, he was listening to whatever the last episode Matt mentioned that question was. I think it was episode two maybe or Maybe two or three or something like that. And he texts me after. He was like, first off, really good show. Really proud of you. Nice job. But uh, CONCACAF stands for this. Yep. He was clearly fed up with uh, listening to that little <laughs> shtick. So yeah. um, according to my father, the Con- uh, CONCACAF stands for the Confederation of North, Central America, and Caribbean Association Football. Oh, that doesn't just flow off. Uh, cons- gone, consider oh yourselves gosh. enlightened. Consider yourselves enlightened. I think I can sleep at night now. Thank you very much. So now that we've answered that all-important question... Uh, CONCACAF, by the way, is uh, just the organizing body for 41 national associations. So this is everything from Canada all the way down to Panama, including all of the Caribbean. Okay. Okay. Nice. Um, and, and that's what this Champions League tournament is. It takes all the top teams from a lot of these different national leagues within these individual countries and pits them against each other in a knockout round type bracket to crown a regional champion. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It's it's pretty fun. Yeah, I'd be interested to see if uh, any American sports leagues like the NBA or MLB would be interested in doing that and getting like the top teams from like I think baseball would be great because it's very international in terms of Central and South America but also the Caribbean is huge just getting the best teams from those different countries and going head to head during the regular season that so, would be that would be so much fun yeah so you don't have to watch 160 <laughs> different major league baseball games oh or my whatever gosh. the number is no that would actually be really fun yeah. we should go pitch that yeah that's what we should do you heard it here first <laughs> so um in order for you guys to really understand the concap champions league we're gonna do um our favorite thing apparently on these episodes which is a quick hist- history lesson mm-hmm. um so 
the uh, CONCACAF Champions League competition has been completed a total of 54 times through 2019. It was first played in 1962. Obviously, MLS didn't enter until 1996 um, when the league was founded. So 1997, actually, the league was founded in 1996. So you've really got three phases that this Champions League has gone through in its uh, evolutionary process. The first stage was from 1962 to 2008. So a really long time period. Uh, but this was really when uh, the Champions League was in its infancy, was, was in a more primitive form. And a lot of the national leagues were in a more primitive form, right? Mm-hmm. Like much, much smaller, not a lot of finance, not a lot of ownership backing, not a lot of eyeballs, right? So it wasn't that big of a competition ever. It was just kind of a fun thing that people did. So during uh, this kind of first era, it was actually known as the CONCACAF Champions Cup or this, the Champions Cup. So it wasn't the Champions League back then, it was the Champions Cup. Um, it was really limited for the first decade, um, and then from 71 to 96, it, had our, it expanded a little bit more. But we really don't care about that stage because MLS wasn't even created then, so it's really just really not relevant to this podcast. But once MLS was created, the tournament changed format and became a straight knockout bracket from 1997 to 2002. Um and during these years, it was just a week-long tournament hosted in the U.S., and you just had to win three games to win the trophy. So you just had to win a quarterfinal, a semifinal, and a final, just one-off games. Yeah, it makes sense why it's called a cup rather than a league back then. It reminds you of like if you played club, just playing the state cup or, or something for that for that week or, or something devoted to that rather than a league, which spans an entire season and kind of is a little bit more notable and noteworthy. Exactly. So, I mean, really there isn't a lot of clout attached to winning the old champions cup. I mean, people will acknowledge it like DC United won it in 1998. LA galaxy won it in 2000. So people acknowledge in their history, like, Hey, they're a regional champion. They won the champions cup, but it almost has an asterisk next to it. Okay. So, I mean, something that I think of that could be a little bit comparable to that maybe would be like Liverpool winning the domestic league, or, or I guess it would have been the English Football League. They had won that numerous amount of times, but until 1992 when the Premier League was formed, they hadn't won it until this year. So people would say, oh, Liverpool still haven't won a Premier League. And so even though they'd a, won, even though they'd won a first division title, they never won it in its current form. Yeah, in its current form. So it's not really relevant. And, and, and in its current, like really competitive form as well. Exactly. Right? So, yeah, very. That's a very good comparison. It's very much the same thing. So, yes, LA Galaxy and DC United won it at that time, but it just they only had to win three games, and it was on home soil for them. They didn't have to play any away games. It was just. It was like state cup. Okay. Like that, those were both really good comparisons. It just really wasn't that big of a deal. So we won't waste too much more time on it. Uh, in 2002, they revamped the tournament for this last little uh, phase of this era. Um, and from 2002 to 2008, it was an eight team tournament with a more traditional format of like a home and away series okay. where you had to uh, um, play a two legged tie, like in the current champions league okay. format where we've talked about this before on the podcast where scores add up and you have the away goals rule and you play one game at your place and one game at the other team's place. And the winner from those two games goes on. Um, this format ran through 2008 and not only did an MLS team never win it, uh, an MLS team never even made the final of this Ooh, version of the tournament. Jeez, that's not a good look. Pretty tough. Uh, not not a great look for MLS during this era. This was a this was a tough time in MLS history as well. I mean, David Beckham came in the league in 2007, mm-hmm. and that's kind of 
generally seen as the point where MLS vaulted itself back into the modern era, okay. right? Yeah, they, they went through their dark ages. Th- this of, was definitely the dark ages of MLS during yeah, this considering period. Considering there's only eight teams in the entire league and there's yeah. only eight teams in the entire cup to be in it, it, it yeah. makes sense that the, the MLS didn't really have much to show for it. Exactly. So when this tournament really became serious was in 2009. So the second era of the of the CONCACAF Champions League, excuse me, was from 2009 to 2017. What CONCACAF wanted to do was significantly bolster this regional tournament to mirror the UEFA Champions League. Mm-hmm. So they did this both through format. They introduced, uh, again, the round-robin group stage that then led into a knockout round to do basically the same thing as what UEFA Champions League did. And through the branding. So they dropped the word cup for the word league. Okay. Did they also include like a bomb, like really inspiring <laughs> introduction song that everyone walks out to and you just get this, the little heebie jeebies? Oh, and- they better have. And it better have been just prime late 2000s, like black eyed peas playing, playing oh in the gosh. background. <laughs> I was trying to, I was more going for like a little, like a boys choir or something like the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League. Like the dun, 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 dun. Come on, man. We've talked about the history of MLS. They definitely would have had black eyed peas in the, I mean, I guess this is CONCACAF and not MLS, but yeah. I just feel like it wouldn't have been something cool and uh, it would have been like the black eyed peas doing yeah. like a one-off song. Pretty much just like the UEFA or what is it? The Europa League, yeah. uh, the <laughs> intro song that they have relative to the Champions League. It's always going to be the little brother, but yeah. yeah. Okay, tangent, but that yeah, was fun. Yeah. <laughs> MLS has a good one, though, too. Yeah, no, yeah, they do. They just introduced a brand new anthem. So uh, by anthem, we mean the song that the players walk out of from the tunnel to the kind of starting 11 area. Mm-hmm. They play this anthem, and MLS always had one, and it was just average. No one really noticed it. Was it better than Darude Sandstorm? Or no, it was not nearly that hype. But the new one, I feel like, does rival it. Yeah. So they just released a new one uh, this year, and uh, it's by it's composed by Hans Zimmer. Oh, so that's, that's pretty legit. It is. It is so hype. It is. You you guys should go look it up. It's actually on Spotify. Go look it up. MLS actually released a little album on Spotify by Hans Zimmer that's got the anthem on it, and it'll have you wanting to run through a brick wall. So I listened to it so much this summer at MLS's back working media operations, and like every time it came on, because the speakers were right next to us at mm-hmm. the media operations tent, and every time it came on, the speakers were way too loud, but I was like... <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that I can uh, delete the Rocky theme song from my playlist in yes. my morning no, runs? No, all you stuff? need is Hans Zimmer's MLS anthem. Perfect. <laughs> what were we talking um, about? Again? I think the Champions League or something like that. Oh, okay, the CONCACAF yeah. Champions yeah, League yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in this second version, to bring it on back, oh, yeah. you have the second era of CONCACAF Champions League from 2009 to 2017. They rebranded the whole thing from cup to league, and they uh, really bolstered it. So they brought in now 24 teams to participate in the tournament, wow. which is triple the previous eight that they had. Um, so now a much more... Um, a title that carries much more clout and they would be separated into groups for a group stage and then um, either the top two or the winners of the group would move on to the round of 16. Okay. And then during this round of 16 onto the semifinals, the quarterfinals, the finals, each of those rounds were two legs home and away just like UEFA Champions League, just like we've talked about previously on this podcast, aggregate scoring, away goal rule and effect all that fun stuff. The only thing that was a bit unique about it is there's no OT 
if they're still tied on away goals. So if you tie the first game 1-1 and tie the second game 1-1, so both teams have one away goal, it doesn't go to overtime at that point. It just goes straight to penalties. So yeah, I think that's relatively fair. I, I think what they're trying to do there is not give the team that just happens to host the second game yeah, an advantage by having their overtime played at their place. Yeah, yeah. I think is the intention with that. Yeah, just not giving them a leg up. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> gotcha. I, did, I didn't gotcha. even I didn't even catch that originally. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um <laughs> oh, I'm so thrown off by that. So the <laughs> So the schedule is what's really important for us to discuss here. So the schedule of this era of the Champions League tournament, again, 2009 to 2017, the group stage was played from early August to mid-October. So if you'll remember, the MLS season takes place from early March all the way through the summer, and it concludes right around November. So that was perfect for them. They were in prime late-season form for the group stage of the, the CONCACAF Champions League. The problem is, is the knockout round took place in late February to mid-April of the next calendar year. So you could advance from the group stage with your roster from, say, the 2010 MLS season, and then you're going to go through your whole offseason, make a bunch of roster moves, come into preseason, and then play in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Yeah, that, which that obviously like a, just puts you at a huge disadvantage, yeah, right? It sounds like a recipe for disaster. I mean, the the disparity between having people that are just fit in terms of being able to run a long distance and and sweat it out and and just be cardiovascular system just being up to up to par, but in terms of game ready fitness, that's a whole nother level in terms of sharpness, in terms of being having that chemistry with your teammates and stuff for passing and if you have a new coach if coming in from the off season, that, that, that just doesn't sound like a recipe that's going to bring any success. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, the first game in the MLS season is normally the first week of March and the round of 16 would take place usually the last week of February. So it was literally your first competitive game of the year oh, wow. in a knockout round, like do or die two game series. So it just made it really hard, obviously, right? Like NMLS team would get to the 80th minute and be looking great. And then the legs would just go and then they concede three and they lose three, one, right? It, yeah. it happened a lot. So MLS teams against all odds actually made two finals in this era. Um, Real Salt Lake made the hey. first uh, CONCACAF Champions League final of any MLS team in 2011. It was a really huge deal, um, and they choked and lost to a Liga Mekis team. I believe they lost to Monterey. I might have that wrong, but I believe they, they lost to a Liga Mekis team. And then in 2015, Montreal Impact made a huge Cinderella run. They really didn't weren't spending the same money as the play as the teams they were playing against. They were just a very big underdog story, but they managed to get all the way to the final and then kind of got blown out of the water by club America in Ooh. the final, a- another Liga Liga Emekis team. Oh, wow. um, so you're starting to see a trend here with yeah. the Mexican teams. Okay. Um, and important to note from the schedule uh, standpoint, the Liga Emekis season is divided into two separate championships. Roughly they run from, uh, about August through to November or December for the first one. And the second one runs like January to May. Okay. So they were in midseason form for both the group stage and the knockout rounds. So they had a significant advantage. And then also 
at that time, for sure, Liga Emekis was definitely a stronger league, spending yeah. more money. So they had better rosters, better coaches, and had the advantageous scheduling. So MLS teams just really, really struggled in this era. Then that takes us up to the third era, which is 2018 to the present. So only two tournaments, okay. 2018 and 2019. Yeah. Um, they actually changed the format back to a straight knockout bracket. So they eliminated the round-robin group stage. Apparently, they just can't make up their mind about whether they want a round-robin group stage or not. Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, I think that that suits the um, the markets better in terms of North and Central America because compared to Europe, Europe has a lot more money, a lot bigger infrastructure, and having these leagues that are a lot more competitive. You have the top five, you know, France, Spain, Germany, Italy, and England. Um, and so all of those leagues in and of themselves are like standalone better than any of the ones that we have over on our side of the pond. Right. And so I, I, I don't think that other than MLS and Liga MX, sorry to any other countries in the CONCACAF, like there, there, it's just not that big of an infrastructure to have those group stages that are going to be worth of any value. And, and also I like the single elimination games. It's a little bit, I liked it this summer in the UEFA champions league. I don't know. How about you? No, I, I agree with you. I think just having a straight knockout round bracket just makes it so much more fun. Um, the group stage. And I think People like having the UEFA Champions League group stage because you just get a ton of games that are high level and stuff. But a lot of times they can just in the group stage feels like it drags on, and you're it like, does, "Can we yeah. just get to the knockout round?" Like that's when the real fun starts. So yeah, um, I don't mind this change either. So yeah, un- unless there's a small team that somehow makes a, a Cinderella run similar to Montreal Impact, but it's a little bit more difficult in Europe in terms of the UEFA Champions League. But that's just kind of a throwaway. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now the way it works is 16 clubs play in the CONCACAF Champions League proper. So they play over four rounds, a round of 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, final. Same thing, two-legged, home and away format, away goals rule, uh, no extra time if it's still tied on away goals, PKs still decide it. Um, Interestingly, in the final, there's no away goals. Um, even though it's two legs. So I'm not really sure the reasoning there, but um, but in there they do have extra time if there's a tie. Okay. So for the final only, there's no away goals and you can go to extra time and then penalties. So yeah, maybe just they, an interesting wrinkle. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't want someone to lose uh, a fi- like the final final, the second leg of the final. On an away still, goal. Yeah, on an away goal and be like, yeah. Yeah, they wanted someone to like win it properly on the scoreboard that makes it really easy for people to see that they won. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So I know you guys probably have this question at this point, and I've held it back because, again, we were going through those eras, and uh, in 2018, they completely changed everything. But how do you qualify for this thing? Like, how, how do you get into it? Okay. So of the 16 that get into the current format of the CONCACAF Champions League. You get four clubs from Mexico. Okay, like I said earlier, they have two championships, so it's the winner and the runner-up of each of those championships. That's how they qualify. You also get four clubs from the United States. Okay, this is a really important distinction, not from MLS, from the United States, because you have to remember this is a country-based regional competition, so you qualify from the United States as a United States club, and you qualify from Canada as a Canadian club. Okay. That'll make sense in a sec. So, four clubs from the United States, the winner of MLS Cup, the Supporters' Shield winner, 
Those are two really simple ones. And then the other regular season conference winner. So if the Supporters Shield winner comes out of the Western Conference, whoever finished first in the Eastern Conference also qualifies for UEFA Champions League. And then the U.S. Open Cup win- winner, which is a tournament that takes place in the uh, United States that we'll talk about next. Uh, if a Canada-based team occupies any of those berths, then it just goes to the next person in the regular season standings, which okay. is pretty easy to understand, I think. You get one club from Canada. Okay, so we've got eight clubs so far, right? Four from Mexico, four from the United States. You get one more from Canada. That's the Canadian Championship winner, which is their version of the U.S. Open Cup, which we've mentioned before. You get one club from the Caribbean, which is the Caribbean Club Championship winner, which is like their U.S. Open Cup or their Canadian Championship. And then you get six clubs from Central America, Caribbean, and Canada region. So they introduced this really weird thing called the CONCACAF League Tournament, that has 22 teams, and that's basically 18 Central American teams, and then three Caribbean teams, and then one from Canada. That's the Canadian Premier League representative. Mm-hmm. So those that's like the first division in Canada that aren't the three MLS teams. And they basically play this like weird one-off tournament, and whoever finishes in the top six in that tournament are the six that go. So you'll get at least four Central American teams Okay, from so that. it would be like a, a play-in tournament or basically, like a qualifiers tournament for It's it. basically a play-in tournament, okay. exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's fair and, and that's where you get all your Central American teams from. So you obviously you get, um, I think, a minimum of four uh, from that because there's only four other ones okay. outside of that very typical of CONCACAF to call this the CONCACAF League when the other tournament is called CONCACAF Champions League. Like, why could we not give this a more distinct name so that it doesn't confuse the heck out of people? But (laughs) So if you see the CONCACAF League happening, that is not CONCACAF Champions League. That is the play-in tournament for For CONCACAF Champions Champions League. So, yeah, whatever. Okay, I don't know who made that decision, but... And um, in the last two years in this format, uh, only one team uh, from Major League Soccer has made a final, and that is Toronto FC in 2018. They've come the closest to winning it. They lost on penalties. Oh, no, that's heartbreaking. To to Guadalajara in 2018. So importantly... This was the uh, back end of the the 2017 Toronto team that we talked about. So that's the same team that basically competed in this tournament. And so everyone, even though it was technically kind of in the next season, everyone would have considered that the quadruple for them because they had uh, won the Canadian Championship Supporters Shield and MLS Cup. And then if they'd won this, they would have done the quad and they would have been the first MLS team to win Champions League and they just would have been cemented in history, but just a penalty or two away. Dang, that, yeah. that's absolutely heartbreaking. Maybe our New England Revolutions fans can... Uh, they can relate, yeah, right? they can relate. And, them. I mean, we're also not feeling too bad for Toronto here because they did win the treble that year. Yeah. So, like, they were they were doing okay for themselves, yeah, right? Yeah, I think people just as, like, single entity, every like, whenever the league does well, everyone does well, and just wanting Toronto to succeed on a kind of a greater scale outside of our own, our own oh, league. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. And you see that theme come through because no MLS team has won the CONCACAF Champions League proper, Mm -hmm. which we're considering that from 2009 onwards. You could even consider it from 2002 onwards if you wanted to because no MLS team has won it since then. Mm -hmm. No MLS team has ever won it. And so it's just become this big bogeyman in the Major League Soccer uh, thinking that they, we just can't do it. We can't get over the line. We, we keep getting to finals and we lose in penalties. We lose on away goals. And we just, which was what RSL did. They lost on yeah. away goals and you just, they just can't get it done. So all time 
So this includes even before MLS uh, was started. Uh, Mexican clubs are four of the top five clubs all time uh, in winning. Wow. Like Club America has seven titles, Cruz Azul six, Pachuca five, Monterrey four. And then um, coming in at number five is Saprisa from Costa Rica. They have oh, three. Oh, wow. Not even, yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, come on, man. Even Defense Force from Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> have two titles. They have more titles than the U.S. does. I mean, I guess they have the same amount of titles because we won the Champions Cup and stuff like that. But Defense Force, <laughs> just to ease your guys' minds, Defense Force won it in 1978 and 1985. So a very different era of soccer. But got to be gotta be the best name in CONCACAF Champions League history. Yeah, no, when I was looking at our notes here, I thought that that was like some government agency that was like prior to Space Force or something. But uh, okay, that, that thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. I had no idea. That was, actually, that was actually a team. So that's just really, really crazy, right? So, but that's all time history. Let's talk about modern history. And when we talk about modern Champions League history, we're considering 2009 to the present. That is 11 tournaments. 11 out of 11 tournaments were won by Mexican teams. Monterrey have won four. Club America and Pachuca have won two each. And Cruz Azul, Atlante, and Guadalajara have won one each. Not only that, then eight of the 11 runners-up are also Mexican teams. Golly. And then three of the 11 runners-up our MLS teams, which we mentioned before, RSL, Impact, Montreal Impact, and Toronto FC. And then, like, Costa Rica have four semifinals appearances and Puerto Rico have one. Those are the only people with semifinals appearances. So this is a competition very much dominated by Mexican teams. Yeah. And then you've kind of got Costa Rica and the U.S. just below. U.S. is starting, uh, U.S. and Canada, excuse me, starting to edge above Costa Rica. Wow. Um, but, I mean, it's very dominated yeah, by those Yeah, 19 out of 22 uh, Mexican teams have either won it or been the runners up. No it. way. Yeah. So th- did like, you just look that? Wow. No, just, just doing, Oh, oh just doing math. the math and just stuff. Just doing yeah. that math. So you have three teams out of the 22 time, like the separate teams yeah. that have played in these games have been non-Mexican clubs, yeah. which is astounding. You would think that that's something that kind of emulates from something from MLS having three Canadian teams or something in terms of having an integrated league with very little representation in terms of who can play. But the fact is we have four teams that can play whenever. Yeah. And so that's just kind of astounding. Yeah. And And even beyond the team awards for the individual awards, uh, MLS teams have won one golden boot. That was Jonathan Osorio for Toronto FC in 2018. And one golden ball. That was Giovinco, also Toronto FC 2018. Um, and no best young players. Uh, but hey, we have... <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't take this seriously. We've won the Fair Play Award four out of the six times it's been awarded, which is probably just like least yellow cards or something like that. I don't even know if that's a compliment. So we like... We dominate one category in terms of CONCACAF Champions League, and that is the Fair Play Award. That just says a lot. That says a lot about, and I don't even think that's a good thing. I don't know that it's a good thing. No, no. You want to see some grit. You want to see some people going in, lunching, doing whatever they can to to help their team win. Yeah, exactly. Um, What's really crazy about this is it's now just become such a big thing in the psyche of every MLS soccer fan that there's been this whole thing that's blown up over it called CCL fever. Um, I'm not sure if extra time originated it, but extra time popularized it. Uh, the popular MLS podcast, um, 
that's got like Andrew Wiebe and David Goss and Matt Doyle on it. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of popularized this CCL fever thing. I mean, every MLS fan every year catches CCL fever because you just think this is our year. This this is the one. Like Toronto's going to do it this year or whoever it is, right? Whoever the last team left in the competition is, it seems like every MLS fan kind of ends up rooting for them like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, everyone exactly. just everyone wants someone to do it. Everyone wants someone to get over the line and legitimize the uh legitimize Major League Soccer in a regional sense because how can you become an elite league in the world if you can't even dominate your region? Yeah. And it's just become this big roadblock for us. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's relatively uh, comparable would be the aforementioned Liverpool team finally winning the Premier League. It was always like they had the infamous Steven Gerrard slip where even yeah. people who historically hated Liverpool, they either just loved that and made fun of Liverpool fans incessantly, but <laughs> or or you had a lot of people that was like, oh man, like Stevie G's won everything. He's done everything for that club. And, and you just can't get that Premier League it. title. It's a curse. It's a, it's a curse, honestly. Yeah, it, that is. It, it feels like Major League Soccer teams are cursed. I mean especially in Champions League, you're going down to these Central American teams or these Mexican teams in these just super hostile environments or really high elevation if you're talking about playing at Estadio Azteca for Club America. Um, And really crap fields and oftentimes really bad refereeing. Um, I'm often very defensive of referees, but CONCACAF refereeing is just not great and there's this whole saying like you just got concacaft it just (laughs) (laughs) like yep they just got concacaft they there were four red card tackles in that game and two handball goals and they didn't get any of the calls and they lost it's just like you have to overcome so many things the scheduling right like these Liga Emekis teams are in mid-season form and MLS teams are in preseason form so even if you are on equal footing now you're still at that disadvantage and there's just so many factors that are making it difficult for them to finally get over the hump and so if your team does end up becoming the one that does it you're just going to be cemented in history because it's been such a long struggle and no one's ever going to be able to take that away from you that you were the first MLS team to do it and hopefully that's going to kind of break the break the dam and then yeah. the MLS titles will start flowing. But we're just kind of waiting for that one. Yeah, you just exactly. need to get over the line. It's yeah, so psychological at this point. Yeah, so. it'd, it'd be great in terms of reducing the stigma, especially too for, for the league in terms of being still beneath Liga and Mekis and, and just kind of like a stamp in terms of, hey, we're here and we want to show out and we're going to take y'all's place in, in terms of being the league on this continent. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 100%. Okay. We've talked CONCACAF Champions League to death enough at this point. Let's move on to the U.S. Open Cup. So the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, commonly known as just the U.S. Open Cup or USOC, is a knockout cup competition in men's American soccer. Um the winner of it receives $300,000 and a CONCACAF Champions League spot like we spoke about earlier. Okay. Um, the runner-up receives $100,000 and there's some other cash prizes as well. So if you're a European soccer fan, right, like think like FA Cup, right? Or yeah, exactly. So you have the FA Cup the in Germany, the DFB Pokal. In Spain, I think it's the Copa del Rey. Yeah. All that y'all need to know about these tournaments is that they involve every level of professional soccer 
in the league in the country yeah. that they're hosted in. So in England, they have nine for like they have nine professional divisions of soccer, and so it's just feeding all nine leagues into one gigantic pool and just letting them have at it and go at it until they reach a yeah. tournament. Finalist. Not even group stage. Like they just throw everyone no. straight into a knockout just round think bracket. March Madness times 20 just yeah. in terms of the pool size and everything. Exactly. No, normally though, it's like take March Madness, but take like all the top four seeds and give them like three rounds Perfect. buys and yeah. stuff like the, the, the first leagues do get some buys and different divisions into the tournament at different times. But yeah, yeah I mean, basically it is, the chance for a ninth division team to knock off a premier league team, right. Yeah. And just become famous in their communities and just have their, their moment in the sun. Yeah. And, and just imagine being these players in the eighth division or in the seventh or the sixth division. And you're probably working two jobs. You're, oh, yeah. you're, you're working as a professional footballer and then you're also working just to make into your me. dream of being a professional footballer reality. Yeah. And so you live that you're probably playing at a, a really crappy pitch and you don't have any fans. And then you get a FA cup draw with Arsenal or you get an FA cup draw with Manchester United. These players probably are fans of all these big clubs. And so the chance of them getting to share the field and be in the stadium, it's just like amazing getting to see the behind the scenes. And it's, and it's kind of ironic. So and when they're doing the the draw in terms of who's playing who, right? The clubs will record their players, and if there's like a really really small team like Grimsby Town, just yeah, random tiny town uh, or tiny club in England, yeah. If they drew Manchester City, instead of being like, oh crap, we just lost all chance of winning this tournament, they're they're celebrating their champagne minds. bottles, throwing yeah. everywhere, <laughs> and just going out to town like that yeah. whole night, getting to celebrate because they get to live their dream and get to play against Pep Guardiola and yeah. get to play in such a nice stadium. So it's a really really fun yeah. way to highlight every level of a domestic league. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to bring it back to the um, U.S. Open Cup, so the uh, United States version of this, it's the um, oldest ongoing national soccer competition in the United States. It was actually first held in um, 1913. Oh, wow. So uh, 2020 was supposed to be the 107th consecutive edition of it, and it's the first time it's ever gotten canceled. Wow. Screw COVID-19. It's really kind of put a bummer on everything right Jeez. so um but it's really it's slowly grown over time if you go back and look at kind of the list of winners there are some just awesome because in the 20s right it was yeah. just like n these random new york teams that were made up of a lot of immigrants and stuff and just some really crazy club names that have won this competition it's yeah. a, a fun wikipedia page to go through but yeah it's really grown over time uh, 2020 was supposed to be contested by a hundred clubs from the four professional leagues sanctioned by the USSF, um, plus some amateur leagues and some play-in rounds. So um, the four professional leagues in the United States that are recognized are Major League Soccer, and then you've got the United Soccer League that has the championship, and then League One. Mm -hmm. and, and then you've got the National Independent Soccer Association. Uh, I think they pronounce that NISA. Okay. Um, Stumptown Athletic in this area. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the division they're in. So they're fourth division and technically recognized by USSF as the fourth division. Okay. Um, and then you've also got some semi-pro and amateur leagues that have some play-in rounds in order to get into it. Like USL League Two clubs, what's formerly known as PDL, um, that I played in one summer, you can qualify as one of those teams and actually get to try to advance to the U.S. Open Cup as just wow. like college players playing on a summer team. That's mental. Which that's is just so mental. Cool. It's so cool, right? Um, 
But since MLS teams have entered uh, in 1996, when they uh, the league first started, they've just absolutely dominated. The only lower division team to win the U.S. Open Cup since MLS was founded in 1996 were the Rochester Rhinos in 1999. And then the what? Sorry, that name really. <laughs> the Rochester Rhinos. <laughs> they're, they're, did a rhino just like escape from the zoo? <laughs> I don't they, know. There's a marketing meeting, and they're like, "Oh, what's our mascot gonna be?" And they see a rhino crossing the road. It's like, "Oh, there we go. I know what we're." Gonna do. Uh, sorry, that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, also, uh, no lower no lower division team has even reached the final. Since the Charleston Battery in 2008, Matt's repping them with his jersey tonight Yes, sir. Uh, while we're recording this episode, which uh, is pretty cool. But they were actually the last lower division team to even reach a final. So MLS has just absolutely outright dominated this. Kind of as you would expect, given the, the relative weakness of lower division soccer in the United States and the relative then comparative strength of MLS compared to that, it just um, is completely... Uh, night and day in terms of the competitive level so it's just really hard for these teams to beat like four mls teams and win a final it's just really really hard for them and i mean when the charleston battery made it in 2008 that was still when it was only a 40 team tournament rather than the 100 teams it is now so uh, and only eight mls teams competed in it now every single mls team competes in it every single usl championship every single usl league one team every wow. single nisa team they all do it and then the amateur teams are the ones that have play in rounds very cool are there like any real notable kind of cinderella stories from from the from the tournament like as of recently or, or anything that that fans can kind of identify with because i mean i like i'm a unc Tar Heel fan and so i, I remember loving the richmond spiders going and beating yeah. duke in the ncaa like, <laughs> march madness basketball tournament but it, yeah i mean that is how it ends up right you get just these small teams that end up winning like their first round game and yeah. then everyone is on board every yeah. single neutral is on board with them um i'm actually going to tell a story a little bit here the florida soccer soldiers which i don't know like that must be a better name than the rhinos right yeah, like the um, soccer soldiers how margin, awesome is yeah, that yeah that, that, that is, it's unique <laughs> they got that and we'll it's gi- original we'll it's, give them unique i yeah. guess but in 2018 they made this really awesome u.s open cup run i was actually attended one of the games that they played and upset someone so i'm gonna tell that story in a sec real quick so that you guys understand that story in a sec i'm gonna go over the format of the tournament so it's a single elimination tournament so every match is a one-off game So it's not like Champions League where you have these home and away series. It's just one game and whoever wins goes on. Um, You also have 30 minutes of extra time if it's still tied and penalties if needed. So no replays here. In in England, sometimes when they're tied, they'll do a a complete replay of a game on a different date. We don't do that here. We just go straight to overtime and into penalties. Easy Um, enough. Yeah, make it simpler. So the first three rounds are all amateur and lower league teams and this is uh these games are played during may and some amateur teams face off in the first round and then the winner of those and then you get some of the usl and the lower division teams in those second and third rounds and then in the fourth round that's when the mls teams come in so they basically get like a three round buy whereas the usl uh championship teams only really get a one round by okay. so very different playing field there um so the mls teams come in in june for the fourth round and then you've got the quarterfinals in july the semifinals in august and the final in september so it basically runs the course of the entire summer uh, and kind of mirrors the the mls season and most other 
professional soccer uh, seasons in the United States. Yeah, okay. that that sounds really hot. If I'm being honest, I do not envy these people. Oh yeah, imagine playing a Florida game oh in July. Gosh. Yeah, the no, humidity. I, I remember just suffering in high school, like suffering enough being in the low country of South Carolina, going to yeah. Charleston to play in any ID camps, or even up here at Davidson, I had an ID camp, and it was just absolutely sweltering, just blister your feet so hot. Oh yeah. So you asked earlier about a cup set kind of Cinderella story yeah. type thing. So in 2019, the Florida soccer soldiers, they're out of North Miami. They play in the United Premier Soccer League, the UPSL, which is just a semi-pro amateur league. Okay. Um, this team was only founded in 2018. They're mostly South American players, as you would kind of expect in for a Miami-based team. Very cool. Um, in only their second season, they qualified for the Open Cup. They had to play like a local qualifying tournament. And they outscored their four opponents nine to one in this qualifying tournament to get into the first round of the U.S. Open Cup. And then in the first round of the U.S. Open Cup, they matched up against Miami FC of the NPSL, which is kind of a fourth division, but it's not recognized by USSF. Um, they used to be in the old NASL. You know oh, how the okay. NASL kind of fell apart recently, and it's just like kind of a yeah. regional. So Miami FC is actually a pretty big club. Yeah, uh, just kind of now they're in the fourth division, but they they're still a pretty much completely professional club. And this is who the Florida soccer soldiers got in the first round because the first round matchups and the second and the third rounds are all kind of regionally yeah. to reduce those travel costs and stuff. And Florida soccer soldiers went on to have one of the most inspiring little runs that I've seen in recent memory that I've kept up with. They um, beat Miami FC 2-1. It was crazy. Wow. It was just a crazy, crazy game. They... Uh, they had one of their star players miss a penalty in the 68th minute when it was tied 1-1, and it seemed like their dreams of an upset were evaporating with that. But then the same guy that missed a penalty ended up scoring a full volley from outside the 18 in the 87th minute to win the game. Oh, my Lord. Scenes. That, absolute that, that, scenes. Oh the gosh. highlights of it. He does the thing where he runs away, and he like bobs and weaves to avoid everybody and makes everyone <laughs> chase him around. Like It was just absolute scenes. So... That in and of itself was an amazing accomplishment to qualify for the Open Cup and then to win a first round game. Yeah. Doing that gave them the opportunity to play against a USL championship team. And they played against, guess who? The Charlotte Independence. Oh, very cool. So they played the Charlotte Independence last summer. And I was actually in attendance at this game. I was actually there. Um, I was just happened to go i just kind of thought i'd see the independence beat up on this amateur team it, mm -hmm. it was cheap tickets seemed cool went with a couple friends right charlotte controlled most of this game right but the soccer soldiers actually upset them really yeah and it was one of the craziest games i've ever witnessed so i kind of walk you guys through the play-by-play -play a little bit of this game because this just shows the magic of some of these games and just the energy that flows through them. So Charlotte pretty much controlled things throughout this game. This was at Charlotte's place in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the at Matthews Sportsplex. Um, in the 31st minute, defender Hugh Roberts, who uh, does the Backyard Footy podcast. Oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, really, really awesome guy. He scored the opening uh, goal in the 31st minute, 1-0. So... Looked kind of business as usual. Independence just ride this game out now. There's no way the, the soccer soldiers are probably just looking for penalties, right? They controlled most of the game, but then in the 78th minute, Florida soccer soldiers number 10 and 19-year-old Argentinian Valentin Sabella, 
megged the uh, independence right back, set up a cross to the back post, center back heads it in, 1-1. Scenes, all right? Already scenes just to equalize it, 1-1 with a USL championship team. And it ends up going to OT. The independence scored two minutes into OT. So again, you're like, oh, like that's pretty much it. And I actually forgot right before OT, one of the soccer soldiers got a second yellow card, their captain. So they were down to 10 men going into overtime, independent score two minutes in. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I was hoping the soccer soldiers get it. I love the independence, right? But like I was hoping the soccer soldiers get it done. I was really cheering for these guys. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen. But then with two minutes left on the clock, independent, one of the independence defenders receives the ball and just plays a no-look pass back to his goalkeeper and leaves it way short. And Valentin Sabela, who I mentioned earlier, 19-year-old number 10, who was unbelievable in this game, by the way, just gambled and pounced on it and was on a breakaway out of nowhere. I mean, independents were just cycling the ball around, seeing the game out, and then all of a sudden, Sabela was through on goal, rounded the keeper, equalized, 2-2, bench cleared into the corner, just absolute scenes again, yeah. and they ended up going to penalties. And of course, it comes down to the fifth takers. It's Sabella and Enzo Martinez. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the, like their star player. Yeah, who is the, their captain, star player, um, really awesome guy. So he's the one with like the very nice big beard. Oh, he's got a huge yeah. beard and like the, the braids. Yeah. yeah. But Sabella scored his penalty and then uh, the Florida Soccer Soldiers keeper saved Enzo's effort. Oh, no. And Soccer Soldiers went on to win. And just, wow. I mean, then, then obviously the soccer soldiers just blew up on social media and like everyone was like, yeah. who are these guys? The US Summer Cup did a whole video feature on them. Nike sent them all these free cleats and free new uniforms oh, ahead dude, of their third so round cool. game. Yeah. Unfortunately, they lost to North Carolina FC, also of the USL Championship, 1-0 in the next round and they didn't quite keep it going. Yeah. But I mean, already they just way overachieved and they captured everyone's imagination. And and, if anything, they got a free pair of cleats out of it. So oh, I mean, 100%. Cares? But they got a little bit more out of it than that, especially Valentin Sabella. So if any of you listening are Independence fans, you will probably know this story. So Valentin Sabella, the 19-year-old phenom for them, only a month after he knocked the Independence out of the cup almost single-handedly, they just signed him. What? Yeah, they just signed him. Oh, dude, that's so cool! Yeah, what like, a, like how, like how cool, like that, like there's the kicker, guys. Like that, that was the kicker of the of the story. That Valentin Sabella showed out for the soccer soldiers in this single elimination knockout cup format, and showed out against the USL Championship team, and they were like, "Wow." we're just going to sign this kid because this kid's legit and they never would have seen him if it weren't for this. And, but I mean, really weird situation. Like imagine walking into the locker room and being like, what's up guys? Like, I just like, I just like ruined your season about a month ago, but sorry about that. Yeah. I'm Valentin. But he's done really, really well as well. Like he's since made 30 appearances for them. He scored um, three goals. He most recently scored the game winner on the last regular season game to send them to the playoffs. Oh, shoot. So, yeah, you saw, cool. like that was yeah, Valentin yeah. Sabella. He's become like a quick fan favorite, all nice. that kind of stuff. But I mean, just a really cool story, right? He had several D1 scholarship offers. Nothing really worked out for him for various reasons. He ended up studying at Florida International University, FIU, and just played for the soccer soldiers team and was looking for a professional contract and his big opportunity he knew was going to be U.S. Open Cup to put himself in front of these big clubs. Good for him, And he took his opportunity and uh, got that professional contract is now thriving with the independents. That's so cool. I think just highlights how important these kind of cup tournaments are to any country's soccer infrastructure. Exactly. And, And I mean, I know Jamie Vardy is a great example in the English 
uh, Premier League of coming from very low levels of uh, of football and just didn't work out for him for whatever reason. And obviously it's a different story, but just in, in terms of showcasing that there is a lot of talent that can go unseen and fall through the web of scouting uh, networks. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And it just... And it also gives a lot of these clubs, um, in England at least, and this is a big sticking point, I think, with the U.S. Open Cup. It's not all positive with the Open Cup. In England, you were talking earlier about how Grimsby Town will be celebrating if they got City, because that means they get to go play away at City. And when that happens, you split the gate revenue. So that means a team that's normally playing in front of 3,000 people and selling 3,000 tickets is all of a sudden playing in a 80,000-seat stadium and getting 40,000 worth of huge. gate revenue, right? Yeah. Which is just huge for their club, right? That allows them to have financial security for the next couple years. Yeah. And it just a major, major financial boon for them. But in MLS, the when the Major League Soccer teams enter, they normally go play away at the USL teams or mm. the teams that are there if, as long as they have a good enough stadium. Yeah. And so it kind of... Because obviously they have a better budget in order to be able to travel and they want to keep the budget down for those other teams not be able to travel. But they miss out on this opportunity to play in the Major League Soccer stadiums and to split that gate revenue and have a lot of those opportunities. So that's one of the big sticking points with the U.S. Open Cup right now that a lot of people want to see changed. But Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so Open Cup, just tons of magic. Every year there's some sort of Cinderella story. It's just like March Madness for uh, yeah. college basketball. There's always a Cinderella story to cheer for. You just got to find them. And it's a pretty, pretty cool competition. Okay. Last one, okay? We're going to move on to the last special competition, the MLS All-Star Game Weekend. Okay? So the MLS All-Star Game is the uh, centerpiece of a showcase weekend played in the middle of the season, normally late July for MLS, which is very similar to other American sports leagues. They almost always have a all-star break right in the middle of the season, whether you're talking about MLB or NBA or um, NFL has theirs after the season, but you really think NBA and that's very similar to what they're doing here. Um, Over time, the format of this has changed. They started off with a traditional East versus West format, much like NBA does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that continued on and off until about 2004. And then starting in 2005, the format, has since been a league-wide MLS All-Star team versus a European top-flight team that they bring in. Um, So this includes teams like Manchester United, Juventus, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, your Arsenal, Atletico Mm -hmm. Madrid, and and more, right? They've played against almost every big club in Europe with an MLS All-Star team. Um, It aligns with like the preseason tours, a lot of these teams, so it's a good preseason game for a lot of them. Um, and for whatever it's worth, Major League Soccer All-Stars are 9-7 and seven all time in these matches. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, like, it's just kind of people like... people in mid-season form versus people who are just coming back from vacation for, for their summer break. So, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little bit weird. Take it as you will. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit because I think that's a really interesting point in, like, what's the value of this? Where should the future of this game be? But really quickly, I'm going to give you guys the rest of the rundown of what this is, and we're going to come back to that. So the way you get selected as an MLS All-Star currently, um, 11 players are voted on by the fans. So like a, a, an 11, so three forwards, a couple midfielders, a couple defenders, a goalkeeper. Those are voted on by the fans. Um, and then uh, 13 are selected by whoever the All-Star coach is, whoever's selected as the All-Star coach that year. And then two players are selected by the commissioner. 
So he just reserves this power so that he can either highlight young talent or honor like an outgoing veteran. Yeah. So like last time around, it was 19-year-old Paxton Pomacall for FC Dallas. He just wanted to highlight like a really great homegrown player that probably deserved to be in the MLS All-Star game. And then RSL legend Nick Ramondo, who that was his last year in the league. He was retiring. He held pretty much every goalkeeping record. He holds pretty much every goalkeeping record in the league. And this was a good way for the commissioner to get him on the all-star team. He wasn't going to get on any yeah, other way. Yeah, showcased the MLS product from the very beginning of yeah, the league. exactly. So which, as an RSL fan, I was pretty happy yeah, to see yeah. him on there. And I think it was a cool thing that we're, they were able to honor him and stuff. Um, along with the all-star game that happens you've also got a homegrown game that's taken place since 2014 that basically just is an exhibition game between the league's best young homegrown players and some sort of opponent usually like a u20 Liga mackies team and then that's played before the the day before the all-star game it's just part of the hype uh, of the weekend and to highlight some homegrowns pretty cool and then you've got the mls all-star skills challenge which they brought back for the first time in 2019 they used to do it way back uh, yeah. You guys should, we might link some videos in the show notes. There's some really awesome videos back in like 1999 of like major league soccer goalie wars. They were out here doing goalie wars in skills challenge and like their skill challenge where it's like who can kick a ball the farthest. Oh, and it's just, fun. it's just center backs and goalkeepers walking up and seeing who can smack a ball the farthest, which I think is just the most <laughs> American thing ever. Uh, obviously a run derby. Yeah. It's just soccer. like a asking for a pulled hamstring, yeah. but uh, just like asking these guys just like walk up and kick a ball as hard as they can. But obviously that would not fly in the current climate of sports medicine and all that kind of stuff. But they brought it back for 2019, not with those same things, yeah. some very different things. Um, as like, you know, shooting competitions, passing competitions, crossbar challenge, that kind of stuff. And it was a pretty cool thing. I was actually there for this. I was um, in Orlando for the last All-Star weekend working media operations. So I got to see this homegrown game. I got to see the skills challenge for the first time. I got to see the All-Star game. But the skills challenge was so much fun. They did uh, three-player teams. They did three three three-player teams. Um, One was an MLS team. So it was Rooney. Vela and Jonathan Dos Santos mm-hmm. and Orlando team since they were the host so it was Nani and then uh, Chris Mueller and Seb Mendez and then an Atletico Madrid team which is the team they were playing that year so Jao Felix Hector Herrera and Coke and these three teams just competed against each other in like penalty kick competition and like cross and finish competition that, that sounds really fun it was a lot of fun and it ended with a crossbar challenge from midfield and like every time you hit the crossbar you got so many points and stuff and it was really close the overall points and Nani hit the crossbar um, on the last kick. Like, it was a buzzer beater. Like, he hit it, the buzzer went off in while it was in the air, and he pinged the crossbar to just push him over the other two teams and win. And obviously, he was for Orlando, and the whole crowd was for Orlando. Yeah. And the whole place just lost their mind. That's and so fun. It was just so much. And it couldn't have gone more perfect for MLS for their first uh, skills challenge yeah, back. I, I like I'm excited that, to kind yeah. of see that again moving forward because I just think that's fun. Yeah. And I think we sometimes just don't have enough fun. fun. Yeah. Like, why do we have to take everything so freaking seriously exactly. like Leslie can why can't we just have fun and do American things like yeah. a skills challenge embracing our identity with it I love yeah. it exactly but okay look you guys have heard enough about that let's talk a little bit here to wrap up the episode about just the future of the all-star game and we spoke a little bit about that I mean before we talk about the future of it Matt do you feel like it was necessary for MLS Uh, to have had this whole long period from 2004 all the way up to the present day where they're playing these European teams. It almost seems like something that they're trying to do to prove themselves to the rest of the world. Yeah, I think it's more 
of associating markets in terms of, oh, look, we have players that can play alongside the world's best. And we have players that are legends that these people want to take photos with. So I know when Kaká played in, in his and you had Bastian Schweinsteiger, David Villa, you had these players from these big teams from Europe coming right. up to our, the legends, the retirement league stigma and being like, Hey, I want to get a photo with you. This is really fun. So there was some mutual enjoyment in it. And so I think from a league perspective, it was more of trying to get fans out to be like, Hey, look, we got Atletico Madrid and our MLS team. Yeah. And, and so I, I think it's doing a big disservice Just trying, trying to get eyeballs on MLS. Yeah, right, is what at that saying. point. Yeah, yeah. At that point it was an eyeballs thing. Uh, I think now it's less so important. I think that, as a fan of MLS, I want MLS to be competing with with something that's a little bit more domestic, a little bit more more fun, like we were saying. I think that instead of doing a MLS All-Stars versus an actual team of like Atletico Madrid, yeah. I think doing an MLS All-Stars versus an a Liga Emekis All-Stars. I'm yeah. trying to find like a time where that can yeah. that could line up. Yeah, I mean, which by the way, like we, we talked a little bit about this before, like in our prep for this podcast. The 2020 All-Star Game was supposed to be MLS All-Stars versus Liga Amekis All-Stars. Exactly. Um, at LAFC Stadium, nonetheless, which would have been pretty cool with the a amount of, of Hispanic Latino population there and stuff. And Exactly. I mean, I th- talk about a little bit about that. We've talked about that before on the show about how important it is for MLS to tap into that Hispanic Latino population yeah, here. Yeah, and in episode one, we were just talking about the TV uh, ratings alone, and it was somewhere near like 576,000. That's just the number that popped up. <laughs> Could be off by. I a, love that you gave a really specific yeah, number. That's, like that's you could have, you could have chosen yeah. to give it a range or a, a Xbox figure, but you went for five seventy six. You went all or nothing. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that, pretty. Yeah. I'm sure that's pretty yeah. close. Let though. Let it's around there between five hundred and six hundred thousand. Okay, okay. What I'm gonna say. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I just took a shot. Wow. Um, but yeah, so there's a huge demographic. It, it's almost double compared to the amount of people that watch the MLS or watch MLS, excuse me. And so it's important that we embrace our own domestic market and try and highlight that and cater to it rather than than try and get this market of people that watch the Premier League. And, yeah. and so that that's smaller than the amount of people that watch Liga and Mackies as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. So why not? trying to embrace our our own our own demographics rather than going for european models and stuff which a lot of teams are doing i know that that might be what charlotte fc are doing since we hired a sporting director who came from europe yeah and lead scout from europe and exactly but they have done some other like they hired jorge herrera the former charlotte independence club legend yeah um who is like of hispanic latino origin and speaks spanish and so he is in their community engagement department so i think they are taking some of those right steps to engage that market but yeah i mean very good point i don't mean to step on that but Yeah, yeah no no i i definitely agree and I think that it is important to have a mutual approach in terms of looking at the Hispanic market and everything, but but looking at the, I guess the branding is what they like a lot from Europe in, in terms of the clout associated with all the, the teams and the yeah. events that they're they're playing in. But, but yeah, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I think... And I'll continue to say this on the podcast over and over and over again, that 
Major League Soccer and any team, if they want to be successful, they need to tap into the Hispanic and Latino and just overall minority communities in their cities. Exactly. Because if you just look at the underlying data, more people watch Liga Emekis in the United States than do watch the Premier League. Yeah. I don't think that's a popular statistic, but it is a statistic it's nonetheless. Real. It is a real statistic. And I just think so many MLS teams in the kind of 2000 to 2010, 2015 era made the mistake of marketing only to the suburban white middle class family. Exactly. Um, I think you're seeing that problem with Chicago Fire right now. That, like exactly they what moved I was their state, they built the stadium in Bridgeview and they were in this suburban community and they just couldn't get people to go. And now they're just backtracking on that and they're back at Soldier Field, back in the city center, back trying to up uh, to market towards a more diverse fan base. So to bring it back to the All-Star game, they announced that the 2021 All-Star game will be uh, the MLS All-Stars versus Liga Mackey's All-Stars. Oh, so okay. They're, yeah. they're, they're going to do it, right? Yeah. It's just going to be delayed a year. And who knows whether they just end up doing, whether that's a one-off thing. I really hope that they either continue doing that over and over again or go back to like an East versus West MLS-centric type of thing. We'll see what happens. But I just think that doing that is going to put so many more eyeballs on major league soccer from a much more relevant market. Yeah. And sustainable, sustainable, that's going to build culture and uh, a population that is only going to grow in the United States. Exactly. Exactly. Something that the fans can identify with because I'm, I feel like people wouldn't really identify with that suburban, like people obviously didn't identify with that suburban market. Yeah. Um, So I'm excited about that as well. And looking at skills challenges, I, I, did yeah. like the the separation between the host team, the league team, yeah. and the visiting team I think as well. Cool, yeah. I, I think that's fun for everyone involved. There's a lot of yeah. unknowns of like, okay, maybe I don't know this player from from Orlando City, or or maybe oh wow, I wonder how um, Jao Felix will compare to uh, Luis Nani. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool, and um, kind of like to wrap up a final point i think if you're going to go back to the narrative of mls for so long was bringing these european teams to kind of measure themselves against it right to show that the the mls was growing year on year and could compete with these major teams and had the class and the ability even if it was an all-star team that there were those people in the league that could play at that level they were always trying to show that through that right but Mm -hmm. as we talked about through the champions league if we want to show that, we first need to show that we're better than Liga MX. Exactly. Yeah, start, you know? start punching at our own weight yeah. before we start punching up at, at Europe. Exactly. So I think this idea with the, with Liga MX is actually, if you're looking at it through that lens, is actually a much more fair measure. Yeah, it's and better position. And it's also an all-star team versus an all-star team. And so you don't get into the semantics of like, oh, well, this is a club team. They play together. They have their taxes. This is an all-star team. And you just end up getting in that like black hole of a conversation that, and no one ever gets anything out of it. And it just ends up spawning arguments. So yeah, I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for 2021 to see that all-star game and see what the feel of it is. And hopefully I think it leads to more collaboration between MLS and Liga Mekis. I think that's only good for both leagues. Yeah. I'm, but I mean, I think especially good for MLS. Yeah. And, and there's always been, I've heard a lot of talks about the two leagues merging at yeah. some point. I mean, there's always rumors about yeah. that. I mean, especially I think never fear. Cup. I don't think that's going to happen. No now or even in the near future but i mean it is something that in the very far fantasy type future that's definitely something that could happen yeah yeah definitely but i think 
it, it's only positive things from it in terms of the two leagues dealing with each other on on more I guess neutral business grounds in terms yeah. of it's not like a oh we're better than you or anything like that it's yeah. hey we got a really good competition between each other our fans probably rival each other a lot I mean just look at uh, El Tri the the, yeah, the rivalry between team, yeah. the U.S. national team and Mexico yeah it's it's amazing it's ecstatic yeah. i love watching those games and i get nervous and and just absolutely pumped mm-hmm. for it and so as a MLS yeah fan, mirroring that in the mirroring that excuse me in the club format yeah it's cool it yeah. harnesses that energy I, I like seeing it and it also kind of ties into with the world cup we're sharing the hosting rights for the world cup in 2026 with mexico and canada I'm, I'm a fan of that. I think that fostering that sense of unity almost and harnessing the strengths that each of those countries has can only be good for soccer in this region. I yeah. think it's narrow-minded to think about like only soccer in the United States or only soccer in Canada, only soccer in Mexico. Like I think it's important to, when you can, leverage that sense of unity and that sense of, of regionality. So Yeah, I agree. Um I'll end us on this note. MLS teams, please market to the Hispanic and Latino and minority fan bases. Please just do it. Just listen to what the FC podcast and just do it. I promise it will show results. So this is us signing off. I am Will Martin. And I'm Matt McCutcheon. And you are listening to What the FC. Podcast.